Okay, we're learning Daf Ayin Ches. So we are in the middle of the sugya of Gerim or Mitzrim, Gerim or Amonim, Gerim or Moavim, and the different impact that they have on one another. So just very quickly, we've been discussing is that the din of Amoni who converts, a big mistake that I see a misconception people have, an Amoni Moavi can convert, they become fully Jewish. The restriction is not against them converting. The restriction is against them marrying Bikahal Hashem, the regular congregation, the inner circles. In fact, the Mishnah held that there are a lot of married Gerim, because Kahal Gerim is Loi Kahal. Other converts from other nations, they couldn't marry. It's not like they're not Jewish, they're in the fold. It's just that they can't marry the inner one. And the halacha is, we came out, that it's only for, for, for male converts, not female converts. And that's why David Amelech was a kosher and everything, everything was fine, even though he descended from Rus, who was a female Moabite convert. And then we have a different halacha of Mitzri. Mitzri v'adomi, that if one converts, they and their child are not allowed to marry regular Jews, Jewish girls, but their grandchildren are. The third generation is allowed to. And we had a machlokas tanoam, if Mitzri v'adomi applies to female converts as well, that was the Tanakhama, Rav Shimon held that it, that it did not. So now, just at the top of Ayin Chesim and Aleph, we're in the middle of making a point about Rabbi Yehuda himself. Okay, Rabbi, we want to know what is Rabbi Yehuda's opinion about whether it applies to female converts from Mitzri, and we say that it seems that he says that it does apply. So a Mitzris who converts is also not allowed to come B'Kahal Hashem, only her grandchild could. That's the way it works. And the Gemara is saying that that, better, that actually makes a lot of sense for Rabbi Yehuda consistently, because Rabbi Yehuda, in order for him to be consistent with another opinion that he says in Mesechus Kedushin, he holds Kahal Geirim Ikri Kahal. He holds that a regular convert, not from one of these uh, nations is actually Ikri Kahal. So let's say, for example, anyone who can't marry, who come B'Kahal Hashem, would not be allowed to marry a, a regular convert. A regular convert is considered B'Kahal Hashem. So the Gemara says like this, if a female, if a male mitzvah would convert, and now I have, let's say, his son, who is he allowed to marry in order to produce a third generation mitzvah? As the Gemara says, mitzvah sheni v'amai yitar, with what can he possibly marry? How could he become purified and get a third generation? How's that going to work? And the point that the Gemara is making is, if the females were not be included, he wouldn't be allowed to marry a female because the female would be considered Rekahal Hashem and Rabbi Huda Lashitalso, the Kahal Girim Ikri Kahal. And the Mitzri is not allowed to marry someone who's B'Kal Hashem. So who's he going to marry? Who's the Mitzri Shani male convert going to marry in order to produce the third generation? And clearly, there is a third generation. The Torah speaks about that. The Torah is, Rabbi Huda holds the females are included in the Isser. So since the females are included in the Isser, Mimela, they're not part of the Kal either. And that's why he's allowed to marry her. That was the point that the Gemara is making. So the Gemara just says, Dilma Divi How do you know? Maybe really... The females are not included in the Isra. I, how are they ever going to marry? They're going to marry if you did the wrong thing. In a Hanami, a Mitzri male convert's not allowed to marry a Mitzri's convert because the Mitzri's convert doesn't have the restriction, so she's part of the Kahal, and the Mitzri does. But the Torah speaks about a third generation if something went wrong and they did the wrong thing and they got married. Says the Gemara, Dilo Hashem doesn't talk about cases that only happen if someone violated the law. If the only way to have a Mitzri Shlishi is if a Mitzri Shani illegally marries a Mitzri's, which is forbidden because she's part of the Kahal and he's not. So then the Torah wouldn't speak about that. Says the Torah, what? The Torah doesn't speak about cases that only scenarios that only come about with sin. Hare mamzer de'i. Every case of a mamzer. What is a mamzer? A person committed a sin of an erva and they create a mamzer. The Torah spoke about it. So we see the Torah does speak about hypothetical cases which are forbidden. So the Gemara says, the If the Torah is talking about something that leads to an iser, we'll talk about it. Yes, the Torah will talk about that there's a ramification if somebody was, let's say, you know, with their sisters, then the kid would be a mamzer. But here, the point is, the Torah is really describing a heter. The Torah is saying, in the third generation, the mitzri is allowed to come in. 
So how do I ever get a third generation? Only by someone doing the wrong thing? That the Torah wouldn't have spoken about. In other words, the Torah won't speak about a hypothetical scenario of wrongdoing to bring out a heter. I wouldn't say the third generation mitzri is allowed to come to Kal Hashem if the only way to get a third generation mitzri is by somebody violating a law. What's wrong with the mitzri marrying another Oh, so the answer is, is that, first of all, that would also be our problem. He wouldn't be allowed to. He's a regular Jew. He's a regular Jew. And this is important. This is an important, very important concept. Oh, you mean another convert. The Territz is, right, right, right. The Territz is, that's what the Gemara was saying. And I read at the end yesterday, Rabbi Yehuda Lashit also holds, Kahal Gerim Ikri Kahal. He disagrees with our Mishnah. Our Mishnah holds other converts from other nations. They're totally Jewish, but they're not part of Kahal Hashem, the inner, the inner thing. Rabbi Yehuda holds Kahal Gerim Ikri Kahal. So if it would be true, that, that if that's true, so then the female convert would not have the issue of coming with Kahal, and the male Mitzri would, so it would be like marrying a regular convert for him. He's not allowed to do that according to Rabbi Yehuda. Must be. The only way to do it is, is that way. So therefore, the Gemara is coming out. It seems that the Torah wouldn't speak about a case of ever getting a third generation Mitzri unless it was permitted. Must be it's permitted because the Isra of the Mitzri is on the females also. So therefore, they're both equally as out. And therefore, as they're both equally as out, he, the male convert would be allowed to marry the female one and produce the third generation. Says What about the case of somebody remarrying a divorcee? Somebody marries, remarries a divorcee. What's that case? If somebody divorces his wife and she moves on and marries somebody else, what does the Torah say? You're not allowed to take her back. So that's, and what does the Torah go out of its way to say? That if you do take her back, the Torah makes a diak in the Pasuk that the children are not mamzerim, the children are even kosher to call on him. We have this back in the fourth parak. So the Torah went out of its way to discuss someone doing a wrong thing, taking back a woman they divorced after she remarried, and the Torah went out of its way to tell you that the kids are still kosher. So I see the Torah will talk about a hypothetical scenario of someone doing the wrong thing in order to bring out a leniency to tell me that the kids are still valid. So maybe here by, by third generation Mitzri, the Torah is also talking about that. There was just tangential. The main point of the Pasuk is don't take back the woman after she remarried somebody else. Once the Torah spoke about that case, the Torah is going to also slip in, but if you do, the kids will be kosher. Mashenk in here, you want to just speak about the fact that a third generation mitzri is mutter, that that's the whole essential point of the Pasuk. How do you ever have a third generation mitzri? Who is the mitzri going to marry? If he marries a mitzris, if it would be true that the female is not part of the isra, then the mitzri wouldn't be allowed to marry the mitzri. So what's the, the case? Alamai, that's our conclusion. The only way to understand Rabbi Yehuda Lishitaso, where it all works out, is that he holds the females are included in the Isra as well. So both the male convert from Mitzri and the Mitzri's convert are both ostracized a little bit from the Kahal Hashem, and that's why they're able to marry each other. Okay, so I know that's really only cleaning up some of the endpoints from yesterday. Now we're going to get back into the main essential sugya of a convert from Mitzri. So what does it say? The Pasuk says two languages when it talks about an Egyptian convert. It speaks about their sons, the, the, the sons, and it speaks about generations. So the Gemara says, If it speaks about sons, why does it speak about generations? Why does it speak about one? Why does it speak about the other? One language of the Pasuk is, One Pasuk says, The sons who are born in the third generation. So it seems a little bit redundant. It could have just said the third son or it could have said the third generation. Why is it saying the sons who are born in the third generation? Why, does that, why do I need both, both, both terminology? So the Gemara explains. In the name of Doris, if all the Torah would say is son and not generations, you know what I would have said? What's a third son? I would say it's all in the same generation. It means that a person, their first two sons, if an Egyptian converts, their first two sons are also his third son is permitted. Meaning his third-born son is permitted. That's what I would think the Pasuk is saying. It's all within that first generation that he has, but it would be saying 
the convert and his first two kids are Asr, but the third child born to the convert is permitted. That's not the law. It's the third generation which is permitted. So that's the grandson which is permitted. So that's why the Torah emphasizes the sons who are born in the third generation. So why doesn't it just say the third generation could come in? Why is it saying children? Why is it saying the banim? Maybe the Torah is only talking about the third generation to the people who are sitting at Arsina. If it would have just said the third generation can come, I would say it means like this. From the third generation from the Jews who stood at Arsina, after that point, they'd be allowed to marry Egyptian converts. It doesn't mean any time in the future of Jewish history an Egyptian comes to convert, they convert, but only their grandchild can come to Kalashem. I would say it means for the Jews who are standing at our Sinai, for you, your kids, and your grandkids, right? You have the halacha, you can't marry uh, the Egyptian converts, but in the future you could. So that's why the Torah says, Lakachlem to say that it's talking about not your third generation, not the Jewish third generation, the Egyptians' third generation, whenever they convert, that's what's permitted to you, but nothing else. And it actually kind of makes sense. You would understand this. Maybe it's only when we're fresh with our episode of leaving Mitzrayim that now God is saying, you know, don't marry the Egyptian converts. But in the future of Jewish history, we still have that applying? And the answer is, yeah, the Torah has to emphasize that. The children who are born to the Egyptian convert in the third generation from after he converted, those are the ones who are permitted. Says the Gemara, lahem, the Pasuk says, born to them. So that's obviously an extra word, menemihem. You count the three generations from him. What does that mean you count it from him? What's the point? It means to say that the convert is generation one. The, the, his child is generation two. His grandchild is already permitted love of Bakalash. I mean, if you wouldn't have said that, you would have said maybe it means the great grandchild is mother. So the Torah says the ones who are born to them in the third generation. Lahem to them, There's a law that you follow their disqualification. What does that mean that you follow their disqualification? That let's say you have something wrong that was done. You've got a, an Egyptian or, or an, an Edomi or converting and marrying a Jewish girl or. The opposite. Let's say a Jewish man is marrying a, a, an Egyptian or an Edomi convert. What's the halacha? You always go after the convert. So if you have one parent who's regular Jew and one parent who is the convert and you want to know how do I establish the yichlas to the child, you always go after the psul. It's a fascinating halacha. So if let's say you, you have, just to give the illustration of the case, you have a convert who marries a Jewish girl. So now what's the kid? Is the kid a Mitzri? Second generation Mitzri? Or is he just a regular Jewish kid? What's the answer? He's a second generation Mitzri. And I could do it the other way. It doesn't make a difference which gender it is. You always halach achar psulan. You always go after the disqualified one. Says the Gemara, the Torah had to say the ones that were born to them and the Torah had to say the ones who were born. Why do I need both phrases? So the Gemara explains here. It's really speaking out what I said, but here let's just read it inside. The Torah just said the sons who were born in the third generation. I would say, yeah, it's the ones who are born. But start counting the third generations from their sons. Meaning the convert is just the convert. Generation one is the son. Which means, ends up meaning that only the great grandchild of the original convert would be permitted. That's what the Torah had to say. Who are born to them. Meaning that we count the three generations from the convert himself. Because If the Torah had said... Listen to this. What if an Egyptian woman is converting while she is pregnant? So the, the gerus that happens is with her and her fetus at the same time. I would say So that's only considered one generation. Why? Because the mother is converting together with the fetus. So I would say, so now how many generations down do I know? Do I need? I'm going to need the son's grandchild to be mother. The Torah says, no, the ones who are born, meaning the Torah is teaching us any birth after conversion is treated like a generation to itself. So you have the mother, and now when the fetus comes out, that's already going to be counted as the next generation, and that 
fetus once he's born, if he goes out, eventually grows up and has a child, then that child would be mutter bekahalasha. Okay, great. Correct. And we're going to learn about that at the end of the Almond. Most fascinating stuff. We're going to get to that. And that's why, just bring out your point, Matt, it's such a nice chiddush, right? If it were true that he would need another geras, you could start here, it wouldn't be true, right? Because that's, that's a de- From the conversion, the third generation is mother. That's kind of like the vart that we're saying here is that when it's with the mother, so it's kind of part of her, part of her geras. But Lamaisa, what we're saying is when it's born, it's already a second generation. Says the I had to say from them over here by the mitrim, and it had to, to and it had to speak about low by mamzer. So what do we mean? What are we talking about? We just had the halacha that what that that if one parent is 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 disqualified, then even if the other parent is not, we always count the yichus after the disqualified parent. The truth is, we have the same exact halacha taught to us by a mamzer. If a, mar- if a mamzer marries a regular Jewish girl, or if a Jewish boy marries a mamzeres. So one parent is a mom there and one parent is not. What's the law on the kid? So the Torah says, lo, there's a halacha. It says that um, even the 10th generation for him can't come to Kalashem by the mom. So it teaches us you always go after the mom. So it's essentially the same law. You go after the puzzle one. The Torah is telling it to us by, in the context of Mitzri Adomi converts. And the Torah is telling that to us by moms. Or why do I need it in both contexts? So the Gemara speaks out. The Torah only said it here. Mishun debami tipa here, but the Egyptian convert he comes where where the tipa means like the drop of semen that created him. What does that come from? It comes from a mitzri, right? It comes from someone who is no good. So it's worse. If you think about it, who made a mamzer? Totally kosher person. Just it was made with relations with someone he shouldn't have been having relations with. But the the drop of semen itself is something that is fit. So I would say you don't go after the disqualification. Because the Torah only said it by Mamzer, Mamzer is more strict. There's no law that a third generation Mamzer is mutter. Mamzer passes on that genealogy forever. You can't, you can't get rid of it. It passes on forever. But in regard to the Egyptian convert, where it's only until the third generation, I would say that it's not as strict. So you don't go after the disqualification. It was necessary to say both. Okay. All right. Now we get into a really, really gishmak. It's one of my favorite sugas of Shas. Uber Yerechimo, Uber Lav Yerechimo. Let's try to get into this business here. Says the Gemara, Marabba Rechana Rav Yochanan, Mitzri Shini Shanata, Mitzri Rishona. What happens? <coughs> if the second generation male, con- male Egyptian convert marries a first generation female Egyptian convert. So what does that mean? That means I have someone who converts and has a son from, from its time and has a son. That son is the second generation. He marries, though, an original convert female from, Mitzri, from, from, from Egypt. So now what do I say? What is the kid? Is the kid going to go after the father, so he's a third generation? Or do I go after the mother and he's a second generation? Oh, so we said before, you go after the psul. Oh, what a wonderful question. Why, what's the Gemara having after? We said we go after the psul. So could it be that when there's one of them is kosher and one of them's not, there is a then you go after the psul. When both of them are apostle, just the question is which generation, they're the same exact psul. It's not, a Mitzri Shani isn't less puzzle than a Mitzri Rishon. Happens to be a third generation Mitzri is Mitzri. You understand what I'm saying that? It's a deep lachronim are so bothered by a question. It's such a good question, right? But the lambdas here kicks in. A, thir- a second generation isn't more lenient. It's not shot his disqualification is less. It's just that there's a law that a third generation is mother. But when I want it done, if, they, if I go after which parent I go after, the first or the second, there's no din of halachach or in here, but a tremendous question. Al-Kopanim, so what does the Gemara say? You go after the father, and the kid is a shlishi. The kid is a shlishi. You go after the father. Says the Gemara, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef has a question. 
It says that theoretically, Mamzerim can become purified. Remember, we keep on saying Mamzerim forever are, 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 are pushed away and their children as well. So how could, how, could, how could you ever have a Mamzer get out of it that his children and grandchildren could ever theoretically come to Kali? So Rabbi Tarfin says, I have a way. Let me have a Mamzer marry a slave woman, which is promoted. Because a slave woman, that's not also to the Mamzer. That's not Bekal Hashem. A Mamzer can't marry Bekal Hashem. He can marry, he can marry somebody who is not Bekal Hashem. So he's allowed to do so. And this is the Chiddush. It's, it's a big Chiddush because a regular free person is not allowed to be with a slave owner. A mamzer is mutter to do so. It's an interesting Chiddush that, that Reb Tarfan holds. A mamzer is allowed to marry a shifla. But not for us. Al-Kapanim Reb Tarfan holds that way. Have a lot of it. So what's the kid going to be? Do I go after the father or the mother? I go after the mother. I'm going to go after the slave, not the mamzer. So the child from a Jewish man and a slave woman goes, his legal status is after the mother, and therefore he's going to be a slave. Now, Shechiru and a slave is not a mamzer. That's the teeth kind of it. A mamzer is a regular a Jew who has a psul. That will be passed on to his children. But once the kid is a slave, both based upon his mother's legal status, and so now the kid just is a slave. So now, Shechiru, if the master will free the slave, Nimzah ben Chorin, he's a regular free person without this. He got free of the mamzer genealogy. So here I see that you go after a mother. Here I see when the mamzer was boiled, the slave woman, you're going after the mother, not the father. So what's going on? And again, this isn't halacha achar psulon here. You can't apply that because they're not usher to each other. They're not usher. And we're still, the, the child is going after the lineage of the mother and not the father. Against Rabbi Yochanan, that you go after the father. So the Gemara says, shiny hasam, That's exeris akasav. That it says in the Pasuk, the woman and her children go to the master. So in other words, by a slave woman, there's a new scriptural decree that all the children always go after the slave woman. That's a unique decree in slaves. But in general law, Absul, like when a, when a Mitri, as our case, a second generation Mitri married an original uh, convert Mitris, you don't say that. Says the Gemara Masav Rava, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says in a bride, Miniman Ger Mitzvah Eli Chavit Tamid Rabbi Kiva. When I was learning about Rabbi Kiva, says Rabbi Yehuda, I had a colleague named Miniman, and he was an Egyptian convert. So he was a Jew, he was learning Torah. Again, don't make this mistake that we don't accept converts from Mitzvah. That's not true. He was mom sitting and learning Torah by Rabbi Kiva, he was a full fledged Jew. He was also loved with Kal Hashem. He couldn't marry a regular Jewish girl. But Amar, what did he say? I need Mitzvah I'm an original first generation Mitzvah. I married a first generation Mitzvah. So what are my children? Our children are second generations. I'll make sure my son marries a second generation Egyptian, meaning a daughter of an Egyptian convert, so that my grandchildren will be totally fit to enter into the cow. So he's going to make sure, this Menemon character is saying, that my son is going to marry a second generation Mitzvah so that my grandchildren will be if it's the way we said, that you always go after the Father, I feel he's shown an army. Why do you have to make sure that his son will marry a second generation mitzvah? His son is a second generation. He could marry any mitzvah. Even if he marries an original convert mitzvah, the kid will still be a third generation man. So why is he say that I'm going to be mocked with that my son should marry a second generation convert? So the Gemara answers, you're right. The language in the price that was off. Said to the Tana who said this price, Tani Rishona, you have a mistake in the gears of the Brisa. You really should say that I'll marry my son off to even a first generation mitzvah. And the point is that we go after the father. If my son is a second generation convert, no matter who he marries, even a first generation mitzvah, my child, the grandson, will be a third generation. Says the Gemara, but there's not everybody agrees. There's a different version. Our same case, but not Shani Nope. We argue that the son actually is going to be a Shani. You go after the mother. So we have two different versions. In this version, we do, in fact, <coughs> go after the mother. Now, 
The way the Gemara is going to initially understand this is that it's based upon the premise called Uber Yerachimo, <coughs> which means that what it means that a fetus is formed in the mother and it grows and it's raised inside the mother's womb. So therefore, it's much more connected to the mother than it is to the father. And based upon that principle, that's why we're going to say that it's always determined from the mother. So the Gemara challenges, is this really true that Uber is Yerachimo, that the, a fetus is considered like the limb of the mother, more of a direct outcome of the mother than its own entity? So the Gemara says, Somebody, now let me just give a little introduction. A little introduction is that the halach is if somebody designates a carbon chatas, and then that carbon chatas, that animal, that female goat or cow gives birth, what do I do with that chatas? It is left to die. The vlad of a chatas is not offered on the mizbech. Only the original chatas, not a vlad chatas. So here, uh, cannot permit it. It's kachim. It's like trapped. It's a fascinating law. Oh, correct, correct. This is only where it gave birth. Yeah. So again, okay, a vlad chatas when it's born, or when it's born to a female chatas, and all of us mesas. Where Yochanan said, but what if hivish chatas mubaris v'yoldah? Let's say somebody designated it while it was pregnant. Not that it got pregnant after I designated. I designated the cow as a chatas while it was already pregnant, and then it gave birth. Once it gives birth, I've got two chatas sitting in front of me. I could use either the mother or the son, or the baby, or the baby, the baby, the baby one. Now, how could that be? Yeah, if the Uber is considered its own entity, that's why. Because it's not considered a Vlad of a Chatas, because it's like I initially designated two Chatas. It's not a Chatas born from a Chatas. That's not what happened. What happened was, it's like I designated from the outset too, because it was already pregnant. So when I designate a pregnant cow, what am I doing effectively? I'm saying... I'm making a designation. I'm being maktish, two separate chatos. I've got the mother and I've got the fetus, but I can only say that if a fetus is its own entity. And now we can understand. If somebody designates two chatos, you want to have one as a backup for the other, then one of them you use, and the second one, which, you're, which is left over, is left to graze, and then eventually it will get a mum and you'll, you'll redeem it. If you say a fetus is like the thigh of the mother, it's completely part of the mother's body, if that's the concept. So when you, what happens when you're designating a mother cow that happens to be pregnant? You're only designating one chatas. The fetus at that point is not an independent entity. The fetus is just a part of the mother. So what happens then? The mother gave birth. That's no different than that's the regular law of a, of a child that comes from a carbon chatas. That's what we are, as we said, if chatas goes to die. So how come this animal... Is not going to die. It must be that it was it was considered as if I had designated it separately from its mother when I was mafresh the, the pregnant the pregnant cow. Must be the conceptually uber is lav yerech imo says Mark. Yeah. Well, why are we giving an example from an animal? Wouldn't the easy example just be if a Jewish woman married a Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The kid is Jewish. Mm-hmm. So that's an excellent question. It's an excellent question. Why, as we see over here, we wanted to determine what was the status of the kid going after the mother or the father, second generation, first generation. The concept of why we're assuming you go after the mother, mother is over Yerachimo. We've learned a few times in Yavamas that when you have a guy marrying a Jewish woman or, or vice versa, it seems that there's a law, you go after the woman. Is that related to our concept? It's a great question. The Gemara never directly connects. It's a great question. Correct. Correct. It's a great, it's a great point. Great point. So the Gemara says, Rav Dimi was silent. He didn't have a terrace. So, 
You know what? When we were saying you go after the mother here by the, by the Egyptians, it's not because of Yerechimo. The Pasuk here says the children who are born in the third generations are permitted. So by speaking about birth, the Torah is emphasizing the connection to the mother. Here it's a scriptural decree to go after the mothers and not the father, but it's not because Ober is Yerechimo. You very smart, good, chashava person. I see your head between the pillars in the base medrash when Rabbi Yochanan said this. Meaning you mamish got what he was trying to say. So what are we coming out? We're coming out that really Ober is Lav, Ober is Lav Yerachimo. You really would go after the father, just as Xeris HaKosav Asher Yivoldu to go after the mother here. So now we get into this. It sounds like it's only a scriptural decree. Without that, generally, we wouldn't say a fetus is like the thigh of the mother. Generally, we would come out <coughs> Think about what Rava said. What did Rava say? What happens if I have a pregnant woman who is converting? So you're a regular conversion and she is pregnant during her conversion. Her son does not need another immersion after he is born. This son automatically had a geirus when the mother had a geirus. That's the halach. Now, how could that be? How could that be? Where did it go to the mikvah? If it's part of the mother, very good. It's part of the mother's geirus. It's like the thigh of the mother. It doesn't need its own independent geirus. But if you're saying an uber is its own entity, where did it go to the mikvah? The mother went to the mikvah. It didn't go to the mikvah. Now, maybe you're going to say it was in the body of the mikvah. It wasn't in the mikvah. It is its independent thing, but it was in the mikvah. But wait a second. That's a chatzitza. Something's dividing between the fetus and the water. If Oberlav Yerachim is its own entity, there's a chatzitza. So maybe you'll tell them. By Torah law, a chatzitza is only something that's on most of the body and something that a person is makbed on. Something that you're particular, you wouldn't want it to be there. Like you have some paint stuck on most of your body. That's a chatzitza. But if it's something that you don't care about, then it's not a chatzitza. So maybe you'll tell me here, you know, it's not a chatzitza here from the fetus's perspective. The mother's body is not something he's particular about that it shouldn't be dividing. You know, that's where he is. He's happy in that habitat. So maybe that's why it's not a chatzitza. Maybe that's where it comes from. On a daraisa level, all this business is all that, that, that if it's on a part of your body, even if you're not makhman on it, it's a problem. But, but, but if, even if it's on most of the body, if you're not makhman on it, by Torah law, that's not a chatzitza. So maybe that's what's going on. Really, really over is lav yarechimo. The reason the tefillah works is it went to the mikvah. It's an independent entity and went to the mikvah because the mother's body wasn't a chatzitza. But says the Gemara, that's only true if it's on the majority of the body. But if it's an entire body, it interposes and it's a chatzitza even if you're not makbid that it's there. What's Rav Kahana saying? Such a lumdish point, Rabbi said. What's he saying? Rav Kahana is saying that if it's covering the entire body, then it's a chatzitza whether or not you care about it. The law that a chatzitza is only if you care about it, that's only where it's most of the body. If it's all the body, like in our case, the fetus, none of its body is making contact with the water. It's completely covered by the mother. It's a chatzitza even if there's no contact. What's the taich in this? Is a chatzitza only when you're makhid or is it not? So the Briskur, a very famous piece of Torah that he said is that there's two dinim. There's one din you have to make contact with the water. Then there's another din if you have partial contact with the water, you can't have a chatzitza. So when there's no contact with the water at all, I don't even need chatzitza. That's just called, you didn't go to the mikvah. The fetus didn't go to the mikvah if it was completely in the mother. If part of it touched the water, then if even though a lot of it was the rosaruba chatzitza, then I can say it's not a problem if you're not particular. But here, if it's completely in the mother. The Gemara is fatayna that that's not going to work. So the only way to understand it would be over Yerechimai. So we're coming out, we have a contradiction. So the Gemara says, shiny, awesome, dining, rebise. It's different as a fetus because that's the way that he develops. What does the Gemara mean? 
a lumdus in chatzitza, which is a mind-boggling concept, that if this is the way that it grows, it's in his natural form where it's necessary for his development, then that cannot be called something interposing between him and the mikvah. Now, I always had very schwer in the briskarov, but Lamaisa, he didn't go in the water. It's not even, briskarov is trying to say, it's not even a din of chatzitza, it's that there's no, there was no BS Mayim at all, he didn't go in the water. So what's the Gemara answering? Yeah, but that's the where he's supposed to be. So if you're talking about a svar chatzitsa, you could hear it a little bit. It's not an interposing if this is where you're meant to be. This is the place where the, the fetus is meant to be. That's the very hard svar, but that's the svar the Gemara is saying. But the Biskorov was telling us that really what the Gemara is saying is that there's no BS Mayim. He didn't go in the mikvah at all, right? Where's he? No contact. What's the Gemara saying? But if he went in the place where he's meant to be and that place went to the mikvah, then, then, then it's kilo. There was a BS Mayim on the Vlad. A very hard idea. All right, now we continue. Very Gishmaka Sugya. There's a lot of other points with this, but Geir is very practical. But, but the main point from our Gemara to take away is that if Ober is Yerachimo, it's automatically part of the mother's conversion. If Ober is Lav Yerachimo, it's an independent conversion. And the, the taco, the Ober went to the mikvah, it went to the mikvah in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Ben Pekua. Yes. Is that connected to this? Another great question. Very similar. They're actually the Rishonim in Mesecha Skul and the Balamar. You're machaving to a Balamar in, 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 in the fourth paragraph of Kul. And the Balamar says that that law of Ben Pekua is related to the concept of Yerachimo. The Pasha says it's not. The law of Ben Pekua is a new halacha. Whenever you shecht, whatever is inside, whatever is inside is mutter. Not because it's part of the mother necessarily. But the Mindset of the Balamar says exactly what you just said. That is related to the concept of Ober Yerachimo, which now makes it complicated because our Gemara seems to be coming out over Lav Yerachimo, right? So that's part of the problem with the Gemara. like, what are you doing? It's Machlikas in the Gemara, Machlikas Amaron, and that's a Pasuk in the Torah. So that's a hard point. Says the Gemara, by the nations, Yichas goes after the male. So what does that mean? Like, remember, with the seven Canaanite nations, you have to completely wipe out. Other nations, you don't. So what if one, you know, one guy from Asia married someone from Israel and now they have a kid. Is the kid the Asian or is the kid uh, one of the Canaanites? So you always go after the male. This guy who once they convert, if two of them are, are converting, we want to know if the children come into the Ka'al, so then I always go after the more blemished one. And the Gemara speaks this out. Where's the source that we go after the male? Because the tiny, it's like it says in a Let's say somebody from another nation. An Asian came and he had beer with a Canaanite woman and they had a child. How do you know Shatta Rosh the course of Evid? You could keep them as a slave. The seven Canaanite nations, you can't keep as slaves. But here that the father was an Asian, even though the mother was a Kanana, you could keep as a slave. Shinemar, as we say in the Pasuk, oh, good to leave this. The Pasuk says, from amongst the children to the people living with you, from amongst them, you can buy slaves. So it sounds like as long as the people, even as long as they're the residents who are living with you, meaning they're not native Kananites, they're just children of the people from Asia who came to the girl to a year living in, in Israel, so they are, those are your lot of buy from slaves. But what about the other way? What if someone from the Canaan nations went to Asia and had a son? How do I know? You might think that you could buy him a slave also. How do I know you can't? You go after what was born in your land. Only, you can only purchase slaves from the ones who were born in your land from a non Canaanite father. But not from the children who were born abroad to a non-Kananite mother from a Canaanite father who are returning to come live in your land. And the point in the, in the Diak and the Pasuk is that we're always assuming the guy goes to the girl. So if assuming the guy always goes to the girl, so now we can understand the point. When it's someone who just happens to be living here 
someone from out, from out from out of Israel came into Israel and now there's a kid. So that would be a non-Canaanite father having Bia with a Canaanite girl and having a son. There you're allowed to purchase them as slaves because you go after the father. But the opposite, if it was born abroad and now they just return, you wouldn't be allowed to. That means if it was a Canaanite father who had a relationship with a non-Canaanite woman, then you would not be allowed to. So there's a law. By Goyim, the Yichas is after the father in that regard. Now, once they convert, you always go after the blemish one to determine. So the Gemara speaks out what this means. But my, what's the case? Let's say a male Egyptian convert marries a female Ammonite convert. So, 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 so what would the point, what would the point be, be? Is that who should I go after? If I go after the mother, so then what? The mother is mut, right? The mother is no blemish because the Ammonite doesn't have the Isra. If I go after the father, then it's a mitzri and it would have the blemish. Maybe that's what it means. But the Gemara says, the language doesn't tolerate that because my Pogonshavish name is, but it doesn't say after, I, the language is I go after the more blemished one. But the mother here, who's a female Ammonite, she's not blemished at all. Moni Veloma on is. It doesn't, the Isra of Ammoni and, and Moavi doesn't include the females. So Rabbi Yochanan said, you go after the more blemished of the parents. That implies both of them are blemished, and we're saying you go after the one which is more blemished. In the scenario that we're saying, the mother is totally unblemished. So you can't be referring to that case at all. So what is the case that we're referring to? This is interesting. So an Ammoni male convert is marrying a female Egyptian convert. So what is the kid? Is the kid an Ammoni or is the kid a Mitzri? So it depends, says the Gemara. Why? Now remember all the laws. A male Ammoni convert is also forever. A females are mutter right away. From Mitzri up until the third generation, both male and female are also. So what is worse? Is it worse to be an Ammoni or is it worse to be a Mitzri? What does it depend on? Boy or girl. If you're a boy, it's much worse to be Ammoni Moavi. If you're a girl, it's much better it's much better to be a Moni Moavi. It's worse to be a Mitzri. So if I have a Moavi male convert marrying a Mitzri's convert, and now they have a child. What is the child? Is it a Moni or a Mitzri? How do I say? It depends. If the kid is a male, you go after his father, because that will be worse for the kid. It will be much worse, because then he'll be disqualified forever. Whereas if you'd be, if you, if, if, whereas if the kid is born a female, so then if you would say he's Amoni, she's Amoni, she'd be mother right away, so then Shadi busts her mitzvah. So then you go after her mother, and she has to wait for her, for her child. Or him being an Amoni, which is us, or forever. So this is what's fascinating. Let me just clarify one thing. If an Amoni marries an Amonis, let's just keep it simple, yeah? Amoni marries Amonis, and they have a daughter. What's the law? She's mother right away. It's only the males. So if she's a female, if you're going to determine that she's a female, Ammonish, she'll be mother. But I'm going to say, since her mother was a mitzvah, you go after the mother's disqualification. So she's a mitzvah, and she's not mother to the cow, only her child will be. So if it's a boy, I say he's an Ammonish, go after the father, because then it's perpetually worse. Whereas if it's a girl, I go after the mother and say it's a mitzvah. It's fascinating stuff. So generally by Goyim, the law is you go after Zohar. When they convert, and I wanted to determine what yichos do they have when there's an inter, you know, inter different nations that they that married each other, whatever way it would be worse, I say that. So this just comes back. What about on the Ahmed Aleph, where I had a different, two Mitzri's marrying each other, just they were two different generations. There, the Gemara did not bring this up. Going back to Matt's question, the Gemara did not bring up this concept of Allah the Gemara brought up something else. The Gemara said, that, it depends, do I go after him or after her? Do I say, Ober Yerachim or Lav Yerachim or Those were all the variables of Ahmed Aleph. What happened to Allah Chachar Psulan? So it's that same Vart that I'm trying to tell you, a hard Vart, which is that Mitzri, Rishon, and Shani are the same exact thing, just they're a different generation. Says the Mishnah, Mavzirim, Nesinim, Mavzirim, Mavzirim, and Nesinim. We're going to talk all about Nesinim, but just a really brief overview of Nesinim is that they were from the Canaanite nations and they tried to convert. 
and they, they tricked Yoshua into thinking that they weren't from the Canaanite nations. So it seems like they converted, but they were completely like ostracized to become only like slaves and wood choppers, water carriers, and when regular Jews are not meant to marry them. So Mamzerim and Nesim are not are also to marry into the regular congregation. Mitzurim so Olam, their Isra is forever. It keeps on going. Achas Zukhar Machan the and it applies to both males and females. Amar Rish Lakish, Mamzeres Achan Nesim, Achas Aradarus Mutar. Says Rish Lakish, a Mamzeres, a female that comes from a that comes from Mamzer after ten generations from the original Mamzer is Mutar. Wow, where did we get that one from? The Teretz is, let's think about it for a second. When the Pasuk talks about a Mamzer, the Pasuk says, even the 10th generation can't marry. What about the 11th generation? It doesn't say. The Teretz is, the only way we know is that we learn from Ammonium Mavi, where it says, it says that even the, gen, the, the, when it's speaking about the Ammonium Moab, it says that even the 10th generation and on cannot marry. So we make Xerah Shavah of 10-10, just the Ammonium Moab, it's 10 plus, so to buy Mamzer, it's 10 plus. So that's the only way we know that. So now Rish Lakish says, a mamzeres after 10 generations is mutter. Why? The only way that we know mamzer is awesome. Past, past, past 10 generations is only because of Xer Shavah Asiri Asiri from Amun Moab. If that's the only way you know it, so Malalon Nekevos Mutaris from Amun Moab, the females are mutter, Avkan Nekevos. So once I need the Xer Shavah, then it can't be stronger than its source. So again, let's clear up. Until generations, that's a Pasuk. Mamzer is also until genera- 10 generations, females included as well. But once I get past 10 generations, how do I know Mamzer is Asr? Only Xer Shavah Asiri Asiri from Amun Moab. By Amun Moab, females are permitted. So by Mamzer, the female Mamzeris will be mutter after 10 generations. Says the Gemara, If you're saying that it's mutter because you learned from Amon Moab, so why shouldn't it be mutter even right away? Why was it only after 10 generations? Says the Gemara, was only working from the 10th generation and on. Until 10 generations, that was just the explicit pasuk that a Mamzer is also for 10 generations. I have no reason to say it doesn't include females. Only once I get past 10 generations, and the only reason Mamzer continues to be also is me, Kolach the the source that I have from Amun Moab, then I say it's only like the source, it's only like the source, like um, to include males and not females. Our Mishnah said, Mamzer is forever, and in, in both males and females. So it sounds like even females are also forever. Against Rish Lakish, as the Gemara Lokasha, Hakamad Amar Don Mina, Hakamad Amar Don Mina, Vuki Basre. So there's two different methodologies when I have Xer Shava. If I learn Xer Shava, do I learn it from the source and then apply it differently? Or if I learned it from a source, I can only apply it in the way that it comes from. So this is a classic example. Mamzer is a both on boys and girls. Once I get to 10 generations, I only know it's Asr after 10 generations from learning from Amun Moab. But Amun Moab, females are not Asr. So should there be a law that I apply it in the context? Now, separate from its source, and I say I learn now, even past 10 generations are also, and now in its own place, it's also even the females, where I say, no, since my source was Amun Moab, and by Amun Moab, females are mutter, so it can't be stronger than its source, and therefore, after 10 generations, it is mutter for the female. That's a machlokas, a general machlokas in the methodology of Zereshava, and therefore, it's not against the Mishnah, it's really a dispute. What is this law about a Mamzeris after 10 generations? There's no such thing as even a third generation Mamzer. What does he mean? He means they all die. 
Hashem never allows a mamzer to get into a third generation. It's very scary. You know, people marry mamzerim. Hashem always orchestrates that the mamzerim die. So this question is moot and irrelevant because it never happens. It says the Gemara, mamzer mamzer doesn't live. Mamzer doesn't live. Says the Gemara, but the Mishnah spoke about it. The mamzerim are also forever. Clearly, we see mamzerim do live and have many generations. Says the Gemara, if it's a mamzer that everybody knows about, that mamzer lives forever. Because the whole reason why Hashem will make sure it doesn't live forever is because we don't want people to intermarry with them. But if everybody knows it's public knowledge that he's a mamzer, then it's not a problem. So if it's a public, if public and you know mamzer, he'll live forever. That's what the mission was speaking about. An unknown mamzer doesn't live. He doesn't live at all. He dies young. The idea of a loyadiyah, if it's a mamzer that's somewhat known, lives until three generations, he doesn't live more than three generations. So bottom line is, we're coming out that it's only a rare scenario of a publicly known mamzer that can live forever. A mamzer that no one knows about dies in his own lifetime and is somewhat acknowledged until three generations. So therefore, when he was saying, I'm not going to discuss it because it's irrelevant, he meant it happens to be that that case, in most cases, uh, they don't end up living. But if it's a publicly known one, they could live forever. Says There was an unknown mamzer who lived in Rabbi Ami's neighborhood. Rabbi Ami made a public decoration. He told everybody in the community that the guy was a mamzer. So the mamzer went out crying. Why? Because everybody found out he was a mamzer. What did Rabbi Ami say? I just gave you life. Meaning to say, why are you crying? Look, I just did you a good thing. I just gave you a blessing. I just gave you life. Why are you complaining? Fascinating thing. He said, I did a good thing for you by announcing you're a mamzer. The Kamar just continues a little bit talking about the Nesinim. Amar of Bar Abba. Where did that Nesina become Asr? It was Xera from David HaMelech. It's only from David HaMelech. It was Xera. It was not Asr from before. The king called for the Givonim. Givonim and Nesinim are the same. He said, Ah, oh, you are not the children of Israel, meaning you're not allowed to marry in to the congregation. My time Why was David Gozer on them? There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. First year, David said, why are we having a famine? Maybe there are idol worshippers. If there's idolatry, then there's no rain. They look for idolatry. No one was sinning. The second year, maybe there are people who are doing znus. When people, when people are being with harlots, so on and so forth, and the raindrops are withheld. They investigated Again, they didn't find it. Shlish is the third year. And maybe there are people who are making pledges to charity in public and not giving. It says that there are clouds and winds, but no rain because people give false gifts. Again, they didn't find that. So Amr David Amel said, what's going on? Why is there no rain? It must be, it's only on me. Meaning it's up to me to figure out what's going on. He asked Hashem, what does that mean? He asked the Urim Vitumim. How do we know? It's a reference to the Urim Vitumim. We learned the word before. So the word Lifnei indicates that it was asking the Urim Vitumim. And what was the Urim Vitumim's response? It's because Shol was never... Uh, eulogized properly, and it's because of Shoal killed the Gavonim. What does that mean? First of all, we're upset when Shoal died, he didn't have a good eulogy. Second of all, the sin that, that, that Shoal killed the Gavonim. Shoal killed the Gavonim? Where did Shoal kill the Gavonim? Says the Gemara, What happened really was Shoal killed Nov, the city of the Kohanim. And, but the city of Kohanim, they always used to give charity to the Gavonim. They were always giving them water and food. So since he killed the people who were supplying food and drink to the Gavonim, the Pasuk considers it like he killed the Gavonim. So Hashem was upset at the honor of the fact that the Gavonim now no longer were giving, were, give, were got food. 
So the Gemara says, first of all, it's an interesting thing. On the one hand, Hashem is saying we have to get punished because we didn't honor Shoal properly. And then we're demanding, and then, and then Hashem is upset at Shoal for killing the Gavonim, meaning is Shoal good or bad? The two diners are, you didn't eulogize Shoal. And second of all, look at what Shoal did. Shoal killed the Gavonim, so we're upset at Shoal. So which one is it? So the Gemara says it's both. In when Hashem is judged, there when Hashem judges a person, there's also a mention of his righteous deeds. So Shaul was good and bad. He was good in the sense that, that he needed a good eulogy, but he was bad. There was a punishment for the fact that he killed the supply of charity to the uh, to the Givonim. So we're gonna stop here for today. We know we didn't get the answer why David Amalek was goes around them. We're gonna to have to come back tomorrow. What's eventually gonna happen is that he's gonna to turn to the Givonim and say, What do you want? How can I repay you for the fact that we cut off your supply? And the Givonim are gonna say, Give us descendants of Shul and we'll hang them. And that was not a Jewish response. That's cruel and unusual type of uh, response. And David Amalek said, if that's the way you respond, you're not allowed to marry the Jewish girls. So that's what the Gemara is going to come out. We'll learn about that tomorrow. We're mom is right in the middle of the story. But the Gemara is coming out that the Nisinim for today was Xerah from David HaMelech that we're not allowed to marry.